This is Liquid Gold. All right, where the chocolate is dark and the stories are told. Welcome back to a chocolate edition of Liquid Gold right here on WeOwnThisTown.net, the We Own This Town podcast network. My name's Mike Wolf with you here today. Very special episode today. Our friend and inspiration. One of the first, if not the first, guy to make chocolate here in the South, Mr. Scott Witherow founder of Olive and Sinclair, joins us on the program today, and we also talk Kinado, which to us is the ideal pairing for chocolate. We also dive into some other things that you can pair with chocolate, Priorat wine being one of those things. That's one of Scott's favorite things. Jess and I both love it, so we get into it with our cocktail correspondent, Jess Backus, out in Charleston. Kenneth checks in later with a story about the royal family. He's always keeping us up to date on what they've got going on. And the Queen's new gin is coming out, and uh, there are some different botanical elements to the gin this time, so he's got some info on that. And a really nice anecdote about Julia Childs and her husband and how they did Valentine's. They really did Valentine's right. They just spent the whole month of January writing letters to their friends and personalizing them, maybe giving them some recipes, throwing in a cocktail recipe or two, as her husband did. And so Kenneth has some info on that. Before we get into it here with Scott Witherow and hear about his story of building Olive and Sinclair and the amazing story of how he found his stone mill for his chocolate. It's the type of stories, that's why we're doing this podcast. We just love to hear the process. We love to hear how people have gotten from their dreams to uh, making them a reality. As always, got to throw a shout out to Michael Eads from WeOwnThisTown.net, producer Michael Eads, and uh, all he's got going on over there, podcast, the music show, is always a favorite, so check that out. Thanks to Upright T-Rex Music for the tunes and Jess Matchin for the logo. Email us, liquidgoldpod at gmail.com, and follow us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. We've got a very exciting uh, month of activity coming up for March. We're going to be doing Monks of March. That's right. Monks of March. Did you know that a lot of what we love to drink, and yeah, I'm talking about chartreuse, baby. A lot of what we drink uh, has uh, roots and has production histories with monasteries all over the world. So we're going to be getting into these mysterious monks and the alchemical elixirs that they make. So we're going to talk some chartreuse and benedictine. We've got some really cool guests, probably some beer to get in with that. So Monks of March coming up and we've been waiting a long time to finally tackle chartreuse and uh, probably get some absinthe content in there as well. Now this was a thrill to talk to Scott. Olive and Sinclair has not done a lot of milk chocolate, but they've got a brand new one for this week for Valentine's Day. So we talk about that and a little hopeful production note here, Um, or at least I hope it comes across that way. But Scott was, I think he was out on his back patio or something. There were all these birds singing and I thought it was, it was really nice. So I tried not to edit out too much of the birds. So there's all these birds singing in the background which I thought was really beautiful. So we've got spring coming up. Basically the birds at this point are all like coming back and nesting and getting ready to mate. And they're basically like just yelling out, like I'm here, you know, who wants to get it on or I'm here. Uh, This is my spot. 
And they're also like, oh, hey, what's up? I haven't seen you in a long time. Oh, cool. Do you know any hot women around here? Like things like that. So that's what the birds are all singing to each other, at least uh, some of what they're singing to each other. So here he is, Scott Witherow of ONS. All right. Well, what a thrill. On the line, we have got a true artisan. You might have started the artisan movement in America. I'm not so. I'm not sure. It's possible. Uh, Scott Witherow of Olive and Sinclair Chocolate, the founder, the owner, the maker. How are you, sir? I am good. I have no complaints at all, man. It's so good to uh, to hear your voice. You're always one of my favorite customers. Well, likewise. I, uh, again, I, I miss seeing your face. I know. I look forward to making drinks for you at some point here this year. Absolutely. Coming over, making some Kinato Manhattans for you, maybe at the shop when you guys are winding down one day. Well, hey, any day. So we got Valentine's Day coming up. A lot of people are thinking about chocolate. You have a brand new product that you're that you're releasing for Valentine's Day. It's your first milk chocolate. Tell me about uh, what's gone into that and why now for milk chocolate was it time to was it time to kind of test yourself with something new? Yeah, kind of. Um, we we actually started like a new limited edition line uh, that we're doing. You know, kind of every other month or so, uh, and we always prided ourselves on our buttermilk white, which was our take on white chocolate. And you know, most everything we do is is somehow southern inspired, but uh, we've never made a, a, a milk chocolate. So what we did is we used to make a buttermilk white. So we we decided to do a buttermilk chocolate Mm -hmm. it's not your standard milk chocolate because we use buttermilk instead of traditional you know milk solids that sounds great though do you get some of that tang in there yeah you do and it really helps balance out the sweetness kind Mm. of same idea with our buttermilk white it just helps you know balance it out right Um, which we should mention the buttermilk white has been something that pastry chefs around town and in the south in general have been making incredible delicious desserts with for a long time lisa donovan included that was one of her favorite ingredients to work with i don't know if you knew that but she loved that stuff you know she can make (laughs) she can make the best dessert out of anything so it so it you know makes us super proud that you know that she enjoyed what we make and 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 used it you know, to make her delicious desserts. So are you, are you pleased with where you're at with this milk chocolate? You feel like you broke, you cracked the code? We are, we are. And, and we're going to like specifically for uh, Valentine's day, we did our new milk chocolate and then we made kind of like a version of like red hots. Oh, crushed wow. them, and you know, they, we lay those out on the, on the back of the bar, kind of like an inclusion. Mm-hmm. So it adds that, you know, spiciness, you know, crunch, and just, I mean, you know, everyone or anyone I know, you know, knows that flavor of the the cinnamon fun of a Red Hot. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so that's our, that's kind of our, our current lineup. We actually are working on, I don't know if it'll be the next one, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll be our version of a probably bar that you've had that's you know got some crunch to it Mm. if anyone can can piece that together without me saying a brand Mm. can i say it (laughs) you can say it it's like the crunch bar maybe yeah it starts with an n the nestle crunch bar 
Yeah, our version. Oh, that's awesome. I used to love at the movies the Bunch of Crunch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys should try a Bunch of Crunch at some point. I I feel like you will uh, appreciate this, and I'm sure you know, I know you know where this is coming from and who I might be collaborating with. Oh, wow, Uh, but but you can't mention. I can't mention, but we're we're going to do it with Carolina Gold Rice. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we love mystery on here. So so when you're getting that crunch in a chocolate bar, where does that – that crunch is usually going to come from like cacao nibs or or like a grain that gets popped a little bit, almost like a Rice Krispie? Yeah. So that's where that crunch comes from. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, uh, on the Valentine's Day, like the the one that we just released, uh, I mean, the crunch comes from like the the red hot e type type of you know candy that that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, we like like any kitchen, you know, we try to just keep moving forward, mm-hmm. and so that's that that'll be another one. That's awesome. That sounds great. Let's go back a little bit to uh, because you've been around for a long time. You have been working in the restaurant and food business industry for what about twenty five years at this point? Since I was fifteen, and I'm forty two. So however long that is, yeah, about twenty seven years. That's incredible. Um, You graduated from MTSU. You went to uh, Le Cordon Bleu in London. I did. And is that where you really became enamored with chocolate? Truthfully, no. You know, I, I've worked mostly in pastry. Mm-hmm. And and I, I'm being candid. So I worked with chocolate a lot. But at least whenever I started ONS, like there, there, there was no, and including culinary school, you know, you're not taught how to make chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I, I compare it to brewing. You know, you, you, you kind of have to figure it out. Yeah, a lot of trial and error. So, you know, after, I don't know how many years of working with chocolate, uh, and if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, uh, which I encourage everyone to do, probably, um, I mean, it's a very taxing job. I mean, you know, sure. you're working, you know, nights and weekends and holidays and, you know, you're dealing with customers and, and, and feedback and, and I mean, heck, I still am. Mm-hmm. But to, for me personally, eventually I just got tired of it. Yeah. And so I started making chocolate for myself uh, and for my own use uh, in the kitchen. You know, again, if I'm being candid, uh, my dad and I and my mom uh, were very close. And uh, my dad... Uh, who was never really encouraging on being in the restaurant industry. You know, he said, you know, I, I would test stuff out on, on them and, you know, friends and other family members. Uh, my dad said, look, if you're hell bent on being in the food industry, you know, this is the best concept you've had yet. And at the time, you know, I didn't see anyone else in the South, you know, actually making chocolate from bean to bar, you know, yeah. being being that we, you know, we import cacao, uh, roast it, very similar to how you do coffee, mm-hmm. but for us, lower and slower. And then, you know, we, we put it through a winter like you would any grain. Um, you know, we grind it. We, or 
I chose to use a very antiquated uh, method with stone mills, which are they're called melangers. They're you know from ours are from the uh, the early 1900s. They've been dated wow. to maybe 1910. So, uh, what is it about the stone? Is it something about texture? Is it uh, does it extract more flavor? What is it about the stone that you love? Truthfully, it was a, a knee jerk reaction. Um, <laughs> like whenever, whenever I started like experimenting and stuff, I truthfully, uh, I don't know if you guys know Weisenberger grits out of Kentucky. Of course. Yeah. I probably have some in the freezer right now, but I, I call, I, I bought stuff from them for years. And so I called them and I was like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. Uh, I don't have a stone mill. Would you be willing to see if it works with your mills and then recommend me to whomever you buy yours from? And they were like, yeah, send it up. And so sent them some cacao that I roasted and they called back and, you know, they were not pleased with me because, you know, what they grind is corn, which has no fat. Mm -hmm. Cacao is 50 plus percent fat. So all I did was gum up their machines. (laughs) And so I had to figure out another way. And Mm -hmm. so initially when we started... I bought a uh, a Molino, which is a uh, like a Mexican style stone grinder. Again, mostly used for corn, mm-hmm. but but also chocolate. Like Oaxacan style chocolate is done with that stone mill. Sure, um, but they don't refine the particle size more. But anyway, but it worked for us. And so a couple years later, and this is an honest to god true story. I got an email or a call from a guy in Spain. He said, I heard you're looking for a melanger, which is uh, like a, a, a French-style stone mill. Wow. And and this is just the honest truth that there are still good people in the world. He said, I'll send you pictures. It's all in pieces, uh, but I promise you all the pieces are there. And he didn't want much for it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, I'm going to take a gamble. Yeah. And, and so I bought it and a couple months later before he, he loaded the like cargo truck or whatever it was to, to be, you know, shipped over here, he called and he was like, look, I told you all the pieces are there. They're not. He said, I, I can either refund you or I think I can find another one, which I mean, he could just, you know, taken my money and ran. Right. But he didn't. Um, and so anyway, so like a month went by. Got another email, and he and he said, I found another one. See the picture. And so I open it up, see the picture, and there's one in the front, but there's another one in the back. And I, was, I emailed him back, and I was like, look, you said one, I see two. Mm-hmm. He said, well, yeah, I found two. If you want the other one, just double the price. And again, it wasn't very much. So I bought both of those. But to answer your question, the reason we stone grind is, one, like whenever I was starting it, you know, in the South, we stone grind grits. Mm-hmm. So it made it made sense to me that we would stone grind chocolate. You know, it turns out, again, going back to either Europe or Mexico or, you know, wherever, you know, historically, that's how it was done. Yeah. And for me and us, and when I say us, I mean the whole team of ONS, you know, we we feel like it does, like, like being hands-on and like how gorgeous the machines that we use are and <clears throat> chocolate being chocolate. Like 
it's it's a romantic item and so the stone grinding kind of keeps that romance i mean sure we could you know buy a ball mill and you know probably do it in an eighth of the time mm-hmm. but but again that the history of how chocolate's been made we like preserving that well it reminds me of like you could grind herbs in an herb grinder or you could do a mortar and pestle and you're going to get better flavor if you do a mortar and pestle. It's going to take you longer. Yeah. It's night and day. Yeah, exactly. That's neat. And you're still doing the stone ground. We do. Every day. Yeah, that's incredible. Will you take me through? Oh, go ahead. I will say, say, like, whenever, you know, a machine breaks from 1910, it's not the easiest to work on. I bet. You know, but I say that laughingly because I, I don't know. Are there people locally who even do work on those things, or did you have to teach yourself how to work on it? Uh, both. Yeah. First, the first time I, sorry, that was my wife and dog. Oh, it's okay. Minor, minor somewhere. They're going to interrupt us at any point, so I get it. <laughs> but the, the, the first time that I ran it, it was actually running backwards, and so I broke it. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I called the guy, and I was like, you know, what do I do? It's like, well, you know, I know people that can can come over there and fix it, but you know, it's going to cost X number of dollars, you know, for the flight. Wow. X number of dollars per day, plus per diem. You and know, and he's talking this. about someone coming over from Spain to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. And you know, I was like, well, what's what's option two? <laughs> he was like, well, you can fix it yourself. Yeah. And so I got a. I went and bought an engine hoist, which, you know, is a, a crane that would, you know, lift an engine out of a, a car or a truck mm-hmm. or whatever and lift it up. And I just got in there and I had to chisel chocolate out. Or actually, it was pure cacao. So it's no sugar added mm-hmm. yet. And yeah, I just got in there and did it myself. I still have some extra parts that apparently I didn't put back in. Mm-hmm. But they work, and so we just keep running. That's amazing. I guess until it breaks again. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, what else you do? Yeah. Will you tell me about? And this is for our listeners too, who who don't know. Um, can you take us through the process of like actually making chocolate and taking those the raw cacao into into something you know just incredibly delicious like you do? Can you take us through that process a little bit? Absolutely. So every every bean, every bar of chocolate or whatever you try from us, every bean's hand sorted. And when I say hand sorted, we physically go through there and make sure that we're only getting the best beans from the best, you know, farmers that we know. Mm-hmm. And where right. where did where exactly do they come from? We do a lot with uh, a, a few farms in the Dominican Republic. Mm. Uh, Madagascar, we have a friend there, Guatemala, and mm. Ecuador. Mm. But we, and and this wasn't necessarily true in the begin in the beginning of ONS, uh, but now, I mean, I know the farmers so well that I text them or call them directly. That's great. Uh, and so we know exactly where they're coming from. You know, we know the flavor profiles, everything. So it's great. Uh, but we didn't start out that way. I mean, initially we went through like a, a third party 
but as you do with with anything you know that that's worth its you know way you know you try harder to you know one you're you're paying the farmer directly mm-hmm. instead of you know this third party taking a cut two it's just nice to know them you know and, yeah you know and and i don't know that that's been fulfilling have uh, you made any trips down there to check out any of these places we have not 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 to everywhere yeah so after we hand sort uh, the cacao which we roast uh i think 75 pounds per roast hmm. uh but we hand sort everything roast it very similar to how uh you would roast coffee or anything else for that matter mm-hmm. uh but for us with cacao we do it a lot lower and slower mm-hmm. think like think braising sure uh how you know when you cook it lower and slower it really intensifies you know that flavor and we actually introduce water to our roasting mm. which is from from what i know uh very much a coffee no-no mm. uh but again we're not roasting coffee but again think braising yeah uh, you know you then have that kind of braising liquor and it it, it also helps release the actual bean from the from the husks you know that the shell around the bean mm-hmm. so you're doing that in the roasting process we are aha uh-huh. we are mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, from there we we take it to a winnower which again is you know takes the shell off much like you would any grain you mm-hmm. know you've got to take the the husk off of whatever you know grain or or whatever it is that you're processing mm-hmm and then from there, we add it into our uh, stone mills and uh, make, you know, pure chocolate liquor. We don't add anything. Mm-hmm. Basically what those do, and you can go on our site and see some of this, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot like an olive oil press because, you know, cacao being 55% or 50 plus percent fat, it presses the fat out and then remixes with the cacao solids. Wow. Um, and then... And then from there, we, we don't use emulsifiers, thinning agents, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, only, we only do that in pure cane brown sugar. And then from there, we put it in the tempering units and, you know, make whatever confections we're making out of it. And if you, if you want me to explain tempering, I'm happy to. But Yeah, tell me about the tempering. I ain't got to. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the way... <laughs> That, that I always describe it is if anyone, myself included, has ever had a chocolate bar that you left in the car, truck, or van, or whatever it is you're in, in the, you know, summertime, you know, it melts, you take it in, you put it in the fridge, you know, and it, and it you know, firms back up, mm-hmm. but then you take it out, and it's got like this, like, kind of white, powdery look to it. Mm-hmm. That's the sugar and or the fat coming to the surface because chocolate, you know, is, is three ingredients, at least for us. Mm-hmm. You've got cacao solids, cacao fat, and sugar. Uh, in our case, we use uh, pure cane brown sugar, again, being a, a, a southern knee jerk. <laughs> but anyway, and we'll get to that whenever. But whenever you, 
uh, a chocolate bar is not tempered or you leave it in your truck or your, your car or whatever and, and try to refrigerate it again, either the sugars or the fats come to the surface, and that's what gives it that powdery look. Mm-hmm. Not that it's bad, but, you know, for us, you know, we're, we're looking for, which is what tempering does, is aligning all of those particles so that you get a good snap, you know, a nice sheen to the to the chocolate, and it allows for a slower melt. Mm. So that's kind of the end process that we do. And then, you know, we're either making bars or coating brittle or, you know, making other confections out of it. Mm-hmm. But back to the brown sugar, uh, again, it was a knee-jerk reaction. And that's how many things work with us. It kind of all goes in reverse. Being one of the first, if not the first, chocolate makers in the South, it was a knee-jerk reaction. And I wanted to use, you know, Southern ingredients. and. Mm-hmm. I don't know, when you think about Southern food, for me, if I'm thinking about sweetener, brown sugar comes to mind. You yeah. know, those nice molasses notes. And it and it really ended up, at least for us and in, in our opinion, you know, marrying very well with the fruit undertones of cacao. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what we do. Well, I imagine that the, the, the caramel notes in it go really well with, with chocolate. And obviously yeah. it does because you make delicious chocolate. But did you experiment a little bit? We did. We did. And we use uh, different brown sugars for different chocolates. But it also, for us, the molasses, you know, that's added back to that, you know, cane sugar allows for like a slower sweet warm up. Kind of like, I don't know, like if you taste iodized salt mm-hmm. as opposed to like sea salt or kosher salt, mm-hmm. you know, you with iodized salt, you get this iron in the front, mm-hmm. and, you know, it never tastes as good as, you know, kosher or sea salt, where, it, where it's a clean salinity. Totally. Uh, well, like, brown sugar, the, the pure cane brown sugar that we use, for us, it, it like, the sugar doesn't hit you up front. You know, it, it allows for the cacao to shine through, but then you get the sweetness, you know, kind of on the back end. Yeah. That's really cool. Have you become, uh, like, over time, I imagine making chocolate for that long, have you become, like, enamored with the the, the unsweetened chocolate? And because we used to, when I was at Husk, you know, the pastry chefs used to buy those big blocks of just pure chocolate from you. And the more I tasted it, the more I was like, you know, this is so incredible because it's like I can imagine it. I can imagine it being sweeter, sure, but you just taste that purity of the chocolate. Have you become like enamored with that over time? Well, I mean, that's what we go for. Yeah, I uh, bet. And we we've actually, I mean, outside of you know, yes, we just you know started doing milk chocolate, but before that, we actually started started going darker. You know, we went to an eighty-five uh, with our Madagascar cacao, uh, and then went to a ninety with some Ecuadorian and yeah, I mean, I, I just tend to go pure and pure either because I'm just, you know, I'm around it every day and eat it every day or because I, I, I just love the, the, the actual taste of, of cacao. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to taste pure cacao, you know, from different farms and even different harvests. 
you know, I mean, you know, it can change. Yeah. Have you been surprised or just maybe a little even bewildered by how chocolate has just exploded in that time since when you started, which was 2007 or so to now? Chocolate has really, really exploded. Have you been surprised to see that? What do you make of that? Completely. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, but like, yes, absolutely. But on another note, you know, it's you know similar to to your line of work in good times. And and I I didn't make this up. Uh, some someone actually said it to me one day. But you know, like in in good times, you know, people love to have a you know, a drink or a cocktail. Mm-hmm. In bad times, people love to have a drink or a cocktail. That's true. It's kind of it's kind of the same with chocolate. You know, like you know, when things are great, you know, like it's you know, it's wonderful to be able to grab a good chocolate bar or brittle or confection. You know, and then in bad times, you know, it's like you know, this is a a good you know a little pick me up. It is. It's magical that way. You know. And, and, it's been mind blowing. I had no idea what I was getting into to be candid when I started ONS. And so, you know, we, we've kind of been blessed, lucky and hardworking in figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I go back to the, uh, I mean, it's kind of like me going to Husk and having one of your cocktails or, you know, or, you know, Rolf and daughters or wherever, Mm -hmm. You know, everybody needs that little pick-me-up sometimes, be it in celebration or in I had a hard day. Chocolate is very therapeutic that way, similar to uh, a good yeah. old-fashioned or something. And and given given that I do like to imbibe on uh, some of your creations or, or even just a beer, but hey, chocolate's good for you. Right. It's got all those antioxidants. Yes. Do you think much about that that stuff as you're, you know, as you think about what, you know, your calling in life? Yeah, what it, what is it about chocolate that's so special? Is it the cacao plant? Is it the way it's processed? Is it is it the magic of taking something beautiful and raw like the cacao and then the roasting and which is similar to coffee because with coffee the the product that you get out of, you know, someone farming the cherries picking them, sending them over, the green coffee beans get roasted. You know, there's all this, there's all these different hands it has to touch and processes until you get to this magical cup of coffee that for so many of us save our asses every day. And chocolate, chocolate's similar to that. To me, it's kind of the same thing. Um, I love, and again, back to, you know, now that we actually know our farmers, you know, knowing all the hands that have gone into it, and um, and even you know all the the great people that work at ONS, you know their hands, you know going through it and you know and roasting it and winnowing it and making sure that we're on point and you know trying to do those farmers justice, you know with what took them so long to grow and harvest and you know ferment and. And, 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 you know, get to us, I mean, it's just very rewarding in every sense. Yeah, you can't, I mean, you kind of can't, it's almost indescribable slash you can't put a dollar amount on it. Right. You're kind of dealing with something that it, for 
thousands of years has been thought of, you know, as as an ingredient from the gods or as something that is holy, yes. something that is so precious um, that for thousands of years people were convinced it was God's creation, one of his only creations maybe, but they believed it. So that's pretty incredible. And it still is. And, it, and yep. it's, you know, it's not just it's not just chocolate or coffee. I mean, you know, you think of, you know, all kinds of ancient grains and corn and stuff that, you know, so many other people have worked to revive and bring back and, and make sure that, you know, that the people know about them and taste them and appreciate them. You know, I think it's all awesome. What's some of your favorite things to drink? Because Jess and I are going to be doing a big segment on that. What's some of your favorite things to drink with chocolate? You know, I'm a, when I say I, uh, I mean my wife and I are both big pre-rat drinkers. Mm. Because we, we, we love the, I mean, you'd know more of this than me, but for the most part, pre-rats uh, are, you know, pretty full-bodied tannic and yeah it's a chocolate maker's wine (laughs) because i would imagine you would you would enjoy all those tannins it could be yeah but you know it's like sometimes um sometimes i like pre-wrap because it either complements or it's like the total opposite of like like with our new like milk chocolate you know Mm. it's much sweeter so i kind of like the balance of you know, having something full body, full bodied and tannic. Sure. You know, and then something total opposite. But yeah, we're, we're we are pre-rat people. Hmm. That's that's cool. That's very cool. That makes a lot of sense because it's got texture, texture and tannins. Uh, there is like kind of a light chocolate note to a lot of pre-rat. And and I don't know if anyone even cares to hear my opinion. Uh, there's one, I'll, I'm sure you've had it, called Rotland Tora. And it's, I mean, you know, pre-rats tend to be on the, the, the pricier side, mm-hmm. uh, which, I mean, pre-rats are a Spanish blend, right? It's, right. it's, it's not uh, like one grape. Uh, but Rotland Tora, I mean, for the money, you know, to me, is just a staple. That's good to know. I don't, tip, I don't typically buy much pre-rat, but I, I do enjoy it. You know, you drink what your wife drinks too, which we mentioned. Sure. But uh, and my wife doesn't. Tannins don't really agree with her with with uh, wine as much. So we drink lighter lighter reds usually. But I do love you know so many different Spanish wines, and I love that area where where a lot of the priorats come from. That Catalan area of Spain is just incredible. We truly love uh, just experimenting. I mean, there's so many great wines out there. And we I mean, we do a lot of beers with, with brewers, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, that, that's also fun. Mm-hmm. We do the Muhu with Terrapin out of Athens, Georgia, uh, which is always good. Oh, that's a good one. And, and they've got, uh, they do like a seasonal imperial uh, Muhu, which Spike, uh, who's a great friend of mine, and just a wonderful guy. Uh, but he always comes up with some crazy idea. Uh, they actually did like a, a Mexican style this year. Uh, kind of like 
our Mexican style uh, cinnamon chili. Which I love. Uh, that, that's one of my favorites that you do. You know, that's fun to drink, you know, with, with, with some chocolates. Uh, I mean, we've done stuff with our friends at Good People uh, down in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. You know, we do a, we actually do a, a, a chocolate uh, whiskey with the uh, Pritchard's down in Kelso, Tennessee. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Which is, which is fun. The chocolate whiskey. Um, it was good. I mean, you know, and then I don't know if you ever, you know, want to get into this, but you know, we started experimenting with other stuff really kind of by accident. Like, like I've said before, everything kind of goes in reverse, but we started aging cacao in bourbon barrels. And I know now that's, you know, kind of a, a hip thing uh, with coffee as well. Right. But cacao being, again, 50 plus percent fat, we didn't realize that it would soak up all that goodness, you know, left in a barrel. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we started doing this uh, kind of like a peanut brittle, sans peanuts. But we used the cacao that we've roasted and aged in bourbon barrels. And so that's super fun. That sounds and delicious. We, we also do one with an old friend of mine whom I, I know that you know, Alan Benton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Out of, out of Madisonville, Tennessee. And if, if you folks Google uh, Benton's Bacon and Country Hands, one, nicest man on earth. Also, as I'm sure you would attest to, make some of the best product on earth. Yeah, it's that incomparable smoky deliciousness that's there's something about his his ham and his bacon that uh you can't really find that flavor anywhere no it's like his signature Mm -hmm. i mean you you know it the second you taste it yep whenever i start ons uh the first thing i missed was uh you know being in pastry for the most part i would walk by the saute station and grab me a handful of you know, Lardons or, you know, whatever it was. And most everywhere I worked, you know, bought product from him. And so I would call and, uh, you know, this is back when Alan actually, you know, was still there a whole lot. Not downplaying, you know, his role now because he's the man, the the myth, the legend. Yep. But I, but I called and we just ordered whole bellies from him. Would split them up amongst the crew. Still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I called him one day, you know, I was like, hey, Alan, you know, Scott, any chance I can get, you know, a couple bellies from you? Yeah, no problem. He said, I heard you got out of the restaurant business. So, <laughs> yes, sir. And if you've, if you've ever talked to Alan, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, call. Yeah. Uh, again, kind of like kind like talking to Sean Brock. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, he always says, or starts his sentences to you as Scott. It's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. He said, Scott, I heard you got out of the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, sir. He said, I heard you're in the chocolate business. I said, yes, sir. Uh, he said, well, you ought to send me some of them. And he called them cocoa beans. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you don't, you don't, you know, you don't correct your elders. Right. Right. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you ought to send me some. Let me smoke them. And, you know, so I was like, heck yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so I sent them to him. Like months went by and hadn't heard back from him. So I called uh, to order more bellies, you know, bacon from him. Mm-hmm. 
He said, well, it's funny you called me today because I actually sent them cocoa beans back to you yesterday. <laughs> wow. So that, he said, but I got to be honest with you. I don't know what the smoke took. And whenever, hopefully, all of you <laughs> does go to Benton's and, and buy some, you'll know the second the UPS man walks in the door. Oh, yeah. Smells that smell's coming from a long ways away. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you love it. But, yeah, the smoke took. But to your point, I mean, uh, even to this day, uh, whenever he sends stuff back, uh, some of my coworkers will hang the bags that he smokes the cacao in in their car, kind of like an air freshener. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, is, that would be a great smell. Alan Benton and, and your cocoa nibs. No, no, it's great. I mean, uh, and so once we got those back, I always refuse to do the bacon chocolate thing. Mm-hmm. Is that, I think it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Keep them separate. So we end up doing a brittle, kind of like the bourbon brittle, but with the smoke. Uh, and that way we can we can still like kind of highlight his signature, but put our little spin on it. So yeah. Super cool, dude. Well, tell me where uh, where people can get your, your chocolate. I know that it's at Turnip Truck. Um, I know it's online. But where, where are some of the best places to, to get your chocolate? Well, if you're talking... Local, yeah, Turnip Truck, Whole Foods, White's Mercantile. Again, you can always go on our site. Uh, in fact, if you go to AudubonSinclair.com, there's actually a map that will show you everywhere in the U.S. and probably other countries, too. I know we're in Canada. If you go to our site, you can kind of search all over. That's incredible. And can people uh, purchase from your site? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of I've been on there. It was on there today and there's there's a lot of good stuff on there. So I like these chocolate mustaches and eyebrows that you guys gave yourself. Oh yeah. In these photos. <laughs> At first I was like, what's going on here? These pictures. Oh, and then I realized it was chocolate. Chocolate mustaches. And we try not to take much of anything seriously. Uh-huh. So yeah, whenever I think it was my friend David Broad. Uh, he was up taking photos, and, you know, he's like, you know, you need a, I don't know if it was like a headshot or whatever, whatever they call <laughs> Let's look, Let's paint ourselves like, uh, you know, with chocolate. So we did, and that's what it turned out. But on a, a more exciting note, we are coming up on our close to 15 years. Yeah, it seems like next year it'll be 15. Yeah. And so just throwing Throwing something out there, anyone that wants to have a good time in ass, I mean, obviously it's Nashville, and, and we're friends with, you know, tons of very talented musicians, but we're, we are going to sometime have a, a shindig celebrating 15 years, but chocolate mud wrestling will be oh wow in the scope of things. Oh, that's we amazing. We can't take much seriously. Oh, that's good. So we we got the scoop on that. You heard it here first. Chocolate mud wrestling at the 15 year anniversary party of Olive and Sinclair, which will be what late this year, next year, roughly. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get you back on when that happens, and we can we can preview the festivities and and we can do a few drinks out there. Maybe we'll have some. Maybe Kenneth will be out there pouring Quinato. We would love it. <laughs> and and hey, if. Uh... If Lisa Marie Donovan is listening, mm-hmm. we expect her to be in the mud pit. 
All right. <laughs> I would oh, not want God. to wrestle her. I bet she'd kick my ass. Oh, I know she would. <laughs> yeah, she needs to do a charity wrestling match. I know she'd kick my ass too, but if she's willing to be there, I'll jump in. Well, dude, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, it was fascinating to hear you talk about making chocolate, and uh, congrats on your your brand new first milk chocolate for Valentine's Day. Get it in town, Turnip Truck, Whole Foods, White's Mercantile, and at oliveandsinclair.com. And there's a slew of other places, but just go on our site, and you can find it. Or just give me a call. Yeah, give them a call. Scott Witherow, owner-founder, Olive and Sinclair Chocolate. Such a joy to talk to you and uh, and hear from you again, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, brother. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you. All right. Thanks so much to Scott. Let's get Jess on the line to talk Priorat and the magic of Kinado. As always, a pleasure to be here with Miss Jessica Backus, our cocktail correspondent here at Liquid Gold. Jess and I love chocolate. We love wine. We love vermouth. We love Kinato, which we're going to talk a lot about today. Jess, how are you? Oh, couldn't be better. How are We're you? We're talking about all the good things. All the good things. So just talked to Scott Witherow, amazing guy. Awesome. And one of his favorite pairings with chocolate, which I know you know a lot about and enjoy yourself, is Priorat wine from the Catalan area of Spain. Um, it's known for being rich. It's known for having tannin. All good things when you're pairing it with chocolate. Though, as we'll talk a little bit about later, you kind of have to be careful sometimes with really dark chocolate and really tannic wines. But what do you love about Priorat? Yeah, so uh, Priorat is cool. So first of all, if you're uh, envisioning a map and you're talking Catalan, you're basically thinking of Priorat as that sort of little section that's very near Barcelona and very near the coast, but not too far from mountainous areas in Spain. So mm. it's kind of cool because you can really think bright fruit and dark earth coming together in kind of like a crazy whirlwind that just sort of uh, fills your mouth with uh, all sorts of confusing and tantalizing sensations. Um, mm. Yeah, which is why I think it's it's so great with chocolate because you get that sort of dark feel, but it's not heavy and it's not cloying and you get that bright fruit, but it's not candy. That's more of a of a bright tart sort of lush thing. Lusciousness is what I think of when I think of Priorat, which is mm -hmm. kind of how you think with chocolate, you know? Yeah, kind of luxurious, like a big velvet blanket or something. It's, yeah, yeah, it's velvety, but it's not like weird on your skin. It's <laughs> <laughs> you don't wear enough velvet. Clearly, I do not wear velvet, but I do like. Uh, you know, those soft sort of satiny type of textures, you know, mm, so yeah. Lush, yeah, that's luscious the things are good, but you don't yeah. want anything uh, that's going to weigh you down. So worth mentioning, too, I've been looking at some photos of um, some of these wineries in the Catalan area and Priorat areas. And it reminds me a little bit of New Mexico. It reminds me of Colorado, kind of Western Slope vibes. There's like some really nice mountainous areas there. Um, yeah. and a little bit of the Godfather two vibes when, uh, when Corleone's, when Michael's out in, um, uh, in Italy and he's like traveling around and you're like, what are you in the desert? But it's like, no, there are areas like that in Italy and there are kind of arid mountainous areas like that in Spain. So yeah, it's pretty it's cool. Very cool. Like high desert. So you don't get super extracted fruit. You get that nice, bright, dry thing, but then you also get really cool, dusty earth. 
Mm. But in pre-rot a lot, they do um, a blend of Grenache and Cab. So you get a, a thin skin, light sort of can be funky or can be sort of dusty and, and not angry, but sort of dismissive of a grape, you know. Mm. And then the cab there is is a little more rich, but it's not super fruity. It brings that sort of dark earth and a little more weight to it without really weighing you down. So it goes really nicely with chocolate. Now, also, let's talk about something else that comes from Spain. We both love. I've been tasting through every vermouth I can find. And Aaron Barnett, our friend at Spirit Animal Co-op, um, yeah. she uh, so graciously dropped off some some samples so I could re-familiarize myself because we did the vermouth episode with you in studio. What was that? It was two years ago? ago. That was uh, (laughs) July of 2019. So yeah, yeah, almost two years ago. So she dropped off a bunch of samples of the Padre & Co. vermouths of Spain. You're a big Mm -hmm. fan of Spanish vermouth and we both love Spanish vermouth with chocolate. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the Padre & Co., you know, is is a passion project of mine in itself, but that was because it really opened my eyes to Spanish vermouth, which I think is really special and spectacular. I mean, I know that the French and the Italians make really tasty vermouth, and I think that Spain, just like with their wine, they sort of bridge the gap in the styles of those. And so with Spanish vermouth, you get a combination of bitterness and sweetness and herbal and spice and all of just the wonderful things kind of coming together in one one luscious sip, you know? Mm-hmm. And we know that uh, Jose Andres loves the Padre and Co. too because it's all over Instagram. Now he's making cocktails with it in the snow. That was Yeah, amazing. making snow cocktails. <laughs> what a guy. I saw that and I was like, oh, he's using my favorite vermouth. <laughs> he's like, this is what you do. This is so nice. This is lovely. I was like, man. That was I, th- f- I think I saw that video. It was like nine in the morning. And That's- I was like. Dang, I kind of want a snow cocktail right now. That was the first time in a long time that I've been really sad I couldn't go out my door and just like scoop some snow into a glass and make a cocktail with it. It looked really nice. Yeah, he was definitely rubbing it in our faces, but it was incredible. And think about how lucky people in, say, like Barcelona, which is really close to this region we were just talking about. But in Barcelona, if you're a fan of vermouth, you can go to these bars where they have incredible Spanish vermouth on tap. They have all these different ways of serving it. We talked about this on the vermouth episode where, because you did some touring through the northern part of Spain. Yeah. But in Barcelona, there's incredible, you know, gin and tonic and vermouth bars. Um, When, when's that going to come to like Charleston? Uh, The vermouth bar. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's funny is I was just having a conversation with somebody who has lived in Nashville, has lived in Charleston, lives in Savannah. They were sitting at my bar and uh, they're good, like industry people close to my heart. And he ordered a sherry. And I was like, it's, it makes me so happy that people, when people order sherry, because it's so rare. But to me, I remember the first time I was visiting Nashville after I had moved away and went to Folk and they had sherry on draft. And I was like, what the, you know? Like, yeah. no. Yeah. And so now every time I go there, even, I mean, they have great cocktails at that restaurant, but the first thing I order when I get in the door is a sherry on draft. Yeah. And what's, mm. what's our, one of our favorite places in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, and Curate. Uh, Curate. Yeah. Same thing. They've Vermouth got, on draft they've got too, like, so. they've got multiple yeah. uh, sherries and vermouth on draft. Yeah. 
Now, if so, you want to talk sherry, I feel like we could say, you know, you could say like an Oloroso would be would be really good with chocolate. Or PX. I feel like. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in kind of a more desserty mode. If you're in a desserty mode, the PX is is definitely nice and you get kind of a cool, weird little tang with it that's kind of mm-hmm. nice. But yeah. But there's a Charleston is um there is one sort of Spanish tapas style bar that has both sherry and vermouth on draft. Mm. Which is really, really cool. Oh, that's special. Yeah. So I'm excited that people are starting to get it a little more and are more open to those type of uh, options and experiences. But I'll be excited the day when I can go anywhere in Charleston and, and order a really cool vermouth and, you know, not have to show them where to find it in the, <laughs> in the bar cabinet or the cooler. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So now we got to go to the Primo pairing with chocolate. This is... Without a doubt, one of, okay, so without a doubt, it's one of the greatest pairings with chocolate. I think it's the most incredible pairing with chocolate. It's because it's such a treat when you do get the chance to have chocolate and what I'm talking about together. Quinato. Quinato originated in Italy. The practice of making quinatos in different vermouths probably goes back to the Persians where they were infusing different ingredients for medicinal benefits. Basically, as soon as people started drinking wine, they were infusing things into it. Um, so that's kind of that grand tradition. But quinato, as we know it now, and it's been made in the, about the last 140 years, it has been made in Italy mostly with uh, Nebbiolo grapes, Barolo in the Barolo region, which is a very famous wine region, and Jess and I both love Barolos. But uh, this quinato is basically... Very similar to a vermouth. It's a uh, fortified wine, an aromatized wine. (laughs) Aromatized. Yeah, it's basically made the same way as vermouth. And one of the masters in this category is a guy named Mauro Vergano. Mauro Vergano, just like our guest of the last few weeks, Mr. Darcy O'Neill, is a retired chemist. Vergano studied uh, viticulture at uh, one of the top schools in Italy. He started working soon after that in flavors and fragrances. And he was a full-time chemist at a company developing different fragrances. So he has got an incredible nose. And soon after, uh, after his retirement, he started putting his nose to work in making different aromatic blends for vermouths and specifically for quinados. And that's really what he's Becoming more known known for now, these are available in the United States through the uh, Louis Dresner portfolio, um, and Maro's Quinados and Vermouths come from the Piedmont region. And what's incredible about that is most people trace the origins of Quinado to that area in Piedmont. It was either Piedmont or uh, Turin, they believe, where a pharmacist concocted a quinato blend to help with digestion and to help with people with stomach disorders and people who had a hard time um, getting an appetite together when they were sick. So basically, the way that it's made is you take a base, you take like a pure alcohol base, and in Italy they're using grappa. They take a bunch of different herbs, mostly dried, and they steep, they steep the herbs in the alcohol. 
They might use a little bit of dried fruit, but mostly it's just um, cinchona, same ingredient that goes into tonic, the main ingredient in tonic, and also an ingredient used in many different Amaros. And then they take a bunch of different herbs. I know he uses like marjoram. I know he uses some thyme. I think he uses... I think he uses probably some rhubarb because I know he shares some of the same ingredients and is friends with the Koki family, which we're going to talk about their Kinato as well. But um, one of one of the most unique things that Maro makes is his Luli Kinato, which is made from Moscato wine. And he even has a quote um, in some of the literature about it, he says, I must say that producing a Kinato from Moscato was my first big challenge. He first produced it in really small batches, basically for the neighborhood, back in 2003. And uh, it was the first product of its kind on the market. People had been using Nebbiolo, as we mentioned, in the Barolo region. A couple of the other ingredients that Morrow used in his Moscato Kinato, which has become really a top shelf cocktail ingredient here in the States. But uh, some of the, some of the ingredients that he uses in this citrus zest dried and then cinnamon and vanilla. He also uses some calisea bark, which is very, I think is just like a, a relative of cinchona, very similar to um, the main ingredient in tonic. But uh, yeah, he steeps all that in alcohol. He steeps the herbs in alcohol for about 20 or 30 days. Then he filters it and he ages the extract. He ages it just alone for two months. And then he takes the extract and he mixes that with sugar and the wine and comes up with this magical concoction known as Kinato. And all these different Kinatos, though, especially I will say those made from Nebbiolo grapes, like the famed producers of Capilano Kinato, these are the the best to me uh, pairings with chocolate and something if you love chocolate definitely something to seek out and Jess you're a big fan of the Koki brands um, Kinato which is which is really cool and and to me has always had like a little bit of a ginger thing it's kind of more herbaceous it's like less it's a little bit less I think luscious and sweet it's got a little bit more bitterness to it but why do you love the Koki one so much I think like most things that Koki produces, uh, that little extra touch of bitterness is what <clears throat> gives balance to the entire thing so that it is not just an incredible ingredient, but it's an incredible thing to sip on its own. So mm-hmm. if you think about their Koki Americano, you think about their vermouth, their rosa, those are things that go really well in cocktails, but also you can just put that over ice and sip on it and you're going to get a world of sort of flavors and textures and sweet and bitter and savory all at once. And so I think their example of Kinato and using herbs and spices that uh, not just enhance the, the wine base and the fortification itself you know, having the cinchona and having the rhubarb and cardamom and those kind of savory herbs also make it really, really cool to have with food. So you don't, you Mm. can put it into a cocktail, but you can just sip on it the way that you would have port or you would have, you know, Madeira or something like that after dinner. 
So uh, I think they do a really brilliant job um, with versatility and accessibility without compromising the complexity of the things that they produce. Mm-hmm. So I remember the first time you were like, oh, Kinato. I mean, you introduced me to Kinato. And the way you introduced me to it was, we have to drink this with chocolate. We have to eat some chocolate and sip on this. And (laughs) it's one of those mind-blowing experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. That's that's how I always introduce people to it. Um, That was always my thing. If I was behind the bar somewhere and and there was a chocolate dessert or someone was like, you know, a lot of times when people are ordering desserts or talking about desserts, they're like, well, you know, I love chocolate, so I should probably get the chocolate one. And then that 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 usually is my first clue that like maybe I can get this person to drink Kinato. Yeah. And blow or, their minds. Um, exactly. Or the cool thing is, is if you don't have a chocolate dessert on the menu at the time, you can give them a sip of that and it almost satisfies that urge for having a chocolate dessert. You know, and they're sure, like, oh, maybe sure. I won't order dessert because you don't have anything chocolate on the menu. And you're like, well, maybe you just need a, an after dinner sipper. And having something that has chocolatey characteristics, but also a little bitterness to help with your digestion after you've had a big meal and a little sort of herbaceousness and like it balances everything out, but it it kind of satisfies all those different parts of your mouth. And one of the amazing things about the Koki Kinado is that you can find a lot of the ingredients on the box that it comes in. I always thought that was really cool. They show you a lot of the ingredients that go into it, and even in uh, in that in that little cork that yeah. you pull out, um, there's like there's like it's strands of herbs or something on the on the drawing of the cork, which is pretty cool. They're always really good about presentation and those things. I think the the yeah the artistic uh, sort of merit of it all is kind of full circle from production to packaging because their bottles are the you know the the label on that is also really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But transparency of the ingredients is also very rare in Italy. So the fact that they want to share those type of things with you, I think, is is really indicative of how strong it is as a, a pairing for certain foods and certain things like that. Because you also mm-hmm. think about those things like rhubarb and cardamom and those savory sort of roots and herbs that are actually really, really good with chocolate. For sure. And these quinados we're talking about are also incredible in drinks. You know, definitely after dinner style, dessert, digestive style drinks. But as we were talking about before we started recording, you could make like an incredible black Manhattan. You could make like you were mentioning like uh, you said Boulevardier. Well, like a almost like, like a, a Negroni a Boulevardier, rum, Negroni, oh, rum. Negroni Boulevardier riff, yeah, for mm. sure. I mean, anything like an Americano, you kind of combine it because. And the cool thing about the Quinado is just like with something like Puntimes or something like those, some of those Padro there Amargo vermouths that have a bit of bitterness along with the sweetness. Quinado sort of fills all of those requirements with one ingredient instead of two or three. So you can use that, like you were saying in a Manhattan and almost make it Boulevardier style um, Mm -hmm. with just that ingredient, or you can combine it with something that's maybe a softer vermouth or a softer bitter and have a cool kind of play on, on any sort of Negroni type of thing. So I used a little bit of aged rum and, uh, Spanish vermouth and then you put a little quinado with that and you have just like kind of a cool tropical uh chocolate bomb but you know yeah, chocolate you and could coffee do like also say two of my favorite things together you could do like 
a one and a half rum, three quarter Kinado, half sweet vermouth, something like that. The cool thing about the Kinado when you're making cocktails with it, it doesn't take much. It's such a boldly flavored product. It's now we've compared it to vermouth because it's similar in how it's made, but I would say it's much more intense. It's more tannic. It's got more mouthfeel. It's like vermouth squared a little bit. Much more intense. And that's, I think that's a huge uh, sort of thing to note when you're talking about the fact that most Kinado is made from Barolo because not just not, it's not just that Barolo is, you know, Barolo in itself is, is a really, really uh, distinctive designation of wine. You know, when you're mm-hmm. talking about Barolo, you're talking about the highest quality Nebbiolo grapes made in a specific way because Barolo and Barbaresco are both made from Nebbiolo, but they come out very, very differently in terms of the wine that makes them. And so Barolo is very cool because you have really, really bright red fruit and a really sort of lighter body than you would expect for something, like you said, that has so much tannin. And Mm -hmm. so it's an incredible wine. And so if you take something that has a really light, elegant body, but just like blistering tannin and crazy acid and this beautiful sort of bright, dry fruit... And then you add all of these crazy herbs to it and you add, you know, you fortify it and you uh, sort of create this darker sort of more intense uh, spirit from it, then you're going to get something that's next level. It's definitely on a different level than vermouth. For sure. And the price tag will reflect that. So <laughs> the price as we, tag will as reflect that. It's, it's, uh, it's somewhere between three times to five times as expensive as your regular like Italian sweet vermouths. But as we, as we can attest, it's nearly worth it. And I want to read a quote. This is from a Thrillist article about uh, Kinado, where the writer says, um, Dylan Maffitt wrote this article about Kinado and has some cool cocktails in there um, and says, uh, he's talking about the Capilano Barolo Kinado, which I want to talk about here in just a second because... It's kind of the, to me, it's like the, it's the mountain of Kinados that you need to climb. Um, but he says, and I quote, in fact, if Satan rose up from hell and offered me the last bottle of Capilano Barolo Kinado in, a, in existence in exchange for my soul, he would have himself a deal. <laughs> I thought that was pretty Excellent. good. But to your point about how special it is that they're making something like that with Barolo wine, is the fact that uh, Giuseppe Capilano himself, or I believe it's a descendant, probably like Giuseppe Capilano the fifth, or so. He mentions how there are so many great vermouths that are made with wine that's fine. You know, it's just, it's fine. It's good wine. But the idea behind a lot of the wine that people make vermouth with is that it's neutral or it, it just doesn't have a lot of taste to it. And he makes the point that this is what is so special about Kinados. We're using really, really good wine and really good ingredients that are, you know, a lot of them are grown right down the street or grown, you know, like Mauro uh, Vergano, the Kinado make- maker, he jokes about how a lot of the herbs that he uses for his Kinados, they're all grown like by his friends, basically. It's basically like his friend's gardens. He just goes through and, you know, pillages and... uh pretty amazing little tradition that they've got there in Piedmont area. 
and definitely seek out the the Capilano one if you can find it. If you can, what what we used to do is basically just split it amongst bartenders or split it. You know, you can split a bottle amongst three people and then get you know a nice full glass or or two out of it. But uh, yeah, incredible with all kinds of different chocolate and amazing in cocktails. Just like everything good, it's a communal experience. So definitely, and we need more of those. <laughs> Absolutely. We need more of those for sure. Yeah. Jess, maybe me, you, and Kenneth could do a nice Zoom uh, chocolate and Kinato. That doesn't really seem Kenneth's style, but. I think Kenneth would be in on it, especially <laughs> if, yeah, we infuse the chocolate with something. <laughs> <laughs> so delicious. Thanks so much to Jess Backus, our cocktail correspondent, and her passion and knowledge as always. We love you, Jess. Now, Mr. Kenneth Dedman checking in. This is his uh, Andy Rooney segment. We'll call this Musings on Boozings. Uh, it's not quite booze news. It's a little bit more than that. It's like your weekend section of the paper. Anecdotes going back many, many years, as well as a little bit of current uh, booze news activity as well. Here he is, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. Thanks, Mike. And it is uh, Valentine's Day. Hence the chocolate episode, and uh, like to share a little trinket about Julia Child and her husband Paul. They they spent often enough for for the better part of five decades, the entire month of January, they would craft personalized um, Valentine's cards for their friends and family. That is very touching, and who the fuck has time for that? Now, sensitivity inside. I'm going to start in on the royal family again, but I cannot start without uh, acknowledging that this is a rough time for Queen Elizabeth II. This week um, commemorates the death of her father, who that's King George VI, who died very, very young, and um, also... It marks the 19th anniversary of the death of her sister, Margaret, who was followed seven weeks later by her mother, the Queen Mother Elizabeth Boslan. All of which kind of kind of harkens to like uh, Claudius and in Hamlet when he says, "When when sorrows come, they come not in single spies, but in but in battalions." And I think that's that's true for the most part in 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 life. But I also think that perseverance over these is the only, only way to stop these battalions of uh, unfortunate events is to is to fight back and overcome them. And that's why it doesn't surprise me that Queen Elizabeth chose this time of year to release her her newest expression of gent. Now, you may remember the Queen last year released Buckingham Palace Gin, which was made from botanicals from the the Buckingham Estate. Now, here comes um, Hillsborough Castle Shortgrass Gin, which is from the Hillsborough Estate, the Queen's Estate outside of Belfast in Northern Ireland, made primarily from the Rose Garden, Botanicals from the Rose Garden that her um, her aunt, um, her the, the Queen Mother's sister, had planted 
um, in the in the early 20th century. Though they're only they're they're only producing 400 bottles, so we'll never see it. Um, it does highlight uh, the beauty of um, Northern Ireland, specifically the Belfast area, Newcastle area up there, uh, all the way around Cave Hill, all the way out to Donegal. Um, it is it is fantastic land, and it is well known for its botanic gardens. In, in fact, uh, Queen's University, which is not far from said estate, is has some of the most beautiful, beautiful botanic gardens I've ever seen. And I used to kick rocks around over there. Um, I, I, if you've never been to Belfast, Northern Ireland, I encourage you to. It's one of the safest cities in the world, and it also has oddly like the best Chinese food that I've ever had in my life. There's uh, a couple of places that stand out to me. There's um, the the Welcome Inn, which is the oldest Chinese restaurant in um, in Northern Ireland or in Belfast. Uh, opened in the early 70s also also the lee garden restaurant that uh my buddy bateau worked at excellent excellent food moving on princeton and harvard law school graduate wife mother and child advocate um fashion icon former first lady michelle obama has announced the release date for her Netflix child cooking series, Waffles and Mochi, pairs um, Mrs. Obama with two puppets who travel the world exploring different nutritious foods. Mrs. Obama is uh, paired with the Partnership for a Healthier America on the development of the show and also was the founder of the Let's Move movement, which uh, encouraged kids to stay active and eat right. She even uh, planted a garden on the White House's south lawn, growing vegetables that were used in the, in the White House kitchen. Now, um, in 2019, the Obamas themselves had uh, partnered with Netflix to create shows that focus on issues of race and class and democracy and civil rights and uh, much more. And uh, this is uh, obviously... Michelle Obama's uh, passion. It, it always has been. And uh, I'm really excited. I can't wait to eat mushrooms and watch it. And this will be my pivot point into the nitty gritty of booze news. Black History Month story, which is kind of buried in the news, but uh, not a lot of people know that in January, early January of 2014, not very long ago, the Hennessy Company in a failed PR campaign, promoted Martin Luther King Day as a cognac drinking holiday. In a media release by uh, Pivotal uh, Public Relations, the firm that Hennessy, uh, VS, and uh, Joss Hennessy Company in Cognac, France, uh, hired as, as their multimedia company, touted a quick release of... Um, of cognac mixed drinks that Martin Luther King Jr. would be proud of. Now, the release said, and I quote, Monday is Martin Luther King Day, a day used to commemorate the work of the civil rights activists. In the middle of winter, B. 
beaches and barbecue parties are impractical for the majority of the country that are given the day off. Check out these delicious Hennessy VS specialty mixed drinks that are perfect for any indoor gathering to celebrate Dr. King's life. Now bear with me, one of these cocktails that was on the website was called Introspective Moment, and it was made from cigar-infused Hennessy, coffee, bitters, ginger beer, and a cherry. Sounds good if it wasn't, like, hurtful, um, insulting, and damaging. And also, like, ridiculously shitty comical. Now, after being called out by the LA Times, immediately, uh, the Hennessy Company issued an apology that it didn't, ex- it didn't um, you know, reflect their core values of their company. And no one really ever even heard of this after much long after that because they buried it. And this kind of reminds me of Jay-Z's Jay-Z's uh, beef with uh, the Cristal company after uh, after the managing director of the company had uh, basic basically said something to the effect that he wished that Cristal was not a part of rap culture. So Jay-Z just started promoting another brand, one that no one ever heard of at the time was his Armand Barnack. Um, that spade shit. And it was, he talked about it in his 2006 single, Show Me What You Got. Um, he basically turned his back on um, a booze company that was doing nothing but profit, profiting off of his culture, but completely lacking respect for, for the, the, the customers that they have in very specific markets. And finally, congratulations to Victor, Bryson, and Christian Yarborough, three brothers born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, the owners of the state's first black-owned distillery located in West Louisville. The fa- factory is ready to get going any day now with a uh, bourbon shop and uh, a greeting center um, set to open in early spring. So congratulations and good luck to y'all. My friends. And that's Booze News. I love you, Mike. Love you too, buddy. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you so much for listening to Liquid Gold. My name's Mike Wolf. You can follow us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod and email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com. That's liquidgoldpod at gmail.com. Coming up next week, we've got a really special interview with Derek Diggs, the bar manager over at Willie B's in North Nashville in the Buchanan Arts District. He has an incredible story. Born in Ghana, raised in Memphis, and then one day his dad's like, if you get a C in math, I'm plucking you out of school and taking you back to Ghana for school. Well, his dad wasn't joking, and that happened. And uh, Derek's got the story all about it and uh, is an amazing mixologist and daiquiri master, so he's got uh, lots of things to talk about and what's going on at Willie B's over there in the Buchanan Arts neighborhood. So we look forward to that. And as I mentioned earlier, Monks of March, our special month of monk-related booze topics. There's quite a lot to cover. You might not think so, but uh, monks are involved in some of the most beautiful elixirs in the world. So we're going to get into that in March. Maybe we'll have some t-shirts. We're working on that for uh, Monks of March, but uh, we look forward to that. Thanks so much to Scott Witherow. For not only for just making amazing chocolate, but for uh, sharing his story today 
pick up some of that new milk chocolate. It is delicious. All right, for Jess and Kenneth and everybody at We Own This Town, my name's Mike Wolf, and we'll see you next time right here on Liquid Gold.